Good morning. Welcome. Welcome to worship. <clears throat> Pardon me. Welcome all you who are online joining us for worship today, connecting with us. We are glad to see you, even though we can't quite see you. We know you're there, and welcome. I'm Rockford Johnson. It's my joy to serve as senior pastor and to be with you in, min in mission and ministry in so many ways as we do all that we can to change lives that change the world. As we gather, we always remember, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The ushers are passing connection pads here. We invite you to put, give us your name, leave your name, let those around you know who you are. And then online, if you would uh, contact us through our website, we'd love to hear from you or through chat or however you can do that at mcfarlandumc.org. If this is your first time with us today, we have Welcome Connect cards in the pew rack in front of you here in the house, and we invite you to complete one of the, these. If this is your first time to connect with us online, please reach out to us. We'd love to connect and respond to you as well. Let us know how we can pray for you. The website, mcfarlandumc.org, on the front page has a prayer request button, and of course you can use the care cards here in the house. As we gather, I want you to know that on August 21, next Sunday, we'll be doing back-to-school blessings and all the worship services, and at 4 o'clock in the atrium, there is a Love Goes to School event, activities for families with children, toddlers through fifth grade, uh, including crafts and story time and snacks. Um, so come and see what that's about. Bring your children, your grandchildren, uh, see what it's like when love goes to school. And then on August 28th, the following week, two weeks from now, 4 to 6 p.m. At, at the play pit, we're having what's called play date at the play pit. Um, that's downtown uh, Norman on Main Street, and we're inviting people to come as uh, summer wraps up and travel and all that fun is uh, um, maybe not coming to an end, but changing a little, a time to get back together and uh, do that together at the play pit. Today we begin a new series of sermon and worship called Love Is, and it has some other components. We'll be uh, doing this through September 25. The other components are Love Does, which is uh, the title of a book by Bob Goff, and some small groups are using that. You might want to use it as at home. They're very short chapters. You can just read like before you go to bed or in the morning and uh, uh, get some insights about the things that love does. Uh, it's it's uh, inspirational and helpful, I think. And then uh, Love Feeds, we are coming together to provide snacks for the schools, and so uh, our missions director, Scott Meyer, has been leading us in that. We hope that you'll engage in Love Feeds as well. And then I'm teaching a special class that began this morning at 9.50, Love Examines. We're looking at Scripture and interpretation of Scripture, and we're looking at Romans chapter 1 and the text there referring to uh, same-sex sexuality. And so we'll be doing that over the next uh, six weeks, spread over seven weeks. We're skipping Labor Day. Um, I'm teaching that on Sunday morning at 9.50 in Fen Hall, and then again the same thing on Monday at noon, and um, you can come to either of those. That's a part of our General Conference Guidance Team's effort to help the church um, engage in 
conversation and, and awareness, etc. So I hope you'll be a part of that. We're also going to have an open forum on August 28th at noon, three weeks into that class, and then we'll do that again at the end of that uh, as well. So I hope you'll come. I hope you'll engage in all kinds of ways. Now we're here to worship and begin this new series, Love Is. Would you stand to sing our first hymn, number 100, God Whose Love Is Reigning O'er Us. Apostles' Creed that is printed in your bulletin or is on your screen. Let us join together in professing the story of God's love as contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary 
suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Join our hearts in prayer together. Let us pray. O holy God, we give you thanks for this day when we are reminded of how big and amazing your love is. God, your love is patient. And we give you thanks for all those who have been patient with us and have taught and cared for us. And we pray for the patience to love others as you have loved us. O God, your love is kind. Give us the courage to be kind to others, to serve those with patience who are so often unkind and rude and difficult to love, our enemies. They are your children and our sisters and brothers, and they were made in your image just as we were. God, your love is not pompous. Give us insight to speak the truth in love and for the sake of your kingdom and not out of a need to appear clever or right. And in all our relationships, give us the wisdom to listen far more than we speak. God, your love does not seek its own interests. And we thank you and pray for those who serve the poor and those in need who give tirelessly of themselves and who have much to do and little time for themselves. Oh God, your love is not quick-tempered, and we pray for those who are angry, for the violent and their victims, for children who fear, elders who are abused, and people who are trapped in relationships that injure and harm. And God, we know that your love bears all things. And so we remember before you those with heavy burdens and many cares and much stress and too little comfort and help. God, open our eyes to those around us and their needs and give us the wisdom to offer help without any prying or sense of superiority. And God, we know that your love never fails. Even death does not trespass on the breadth and depth of your love. And so we thank you for those we have loved in this life and who now dwell in the peace and the joy of your presence. And God, let your comfort settle on those who are grieving or who are lonely this day. 
And above all else, God, help us to love as you love each and every day. And so we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. And we pray together now the prayer that he taught us, praying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please stand and join us in singing hymn 549, where charity and love prevail. 549. God is always moving, always calling us to come along in unexpected and wonderful ways to wonderful places. And as we accept God's call to share the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, we pray that the gifts of money that we give today uh, from our bank accounts online, that they would help God's church be dynamic and fluid and always about God's purpose of letting his love be known in this world. And so may each of us today fulfill our role in being members of the body of Christ, doing our part to change lives that change the world. And so may God bless our tithes and our offerings.
Our scripture reading today found in 1 Corinthians 13 will serve as the foundation for our sermon series, Love Is, over the next seven weeks. You can find the printed scripture in your order of worship or online. And today, as you hear this text read by multiple voices, I invite you to listen with fresh ears for what the Spirit is telling us love is and love does. Join with us for the response at the end of the reading. Hear the word of the Lord. If I speak in the tongues of humans and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now, now faith, faith, hope, and, and love remain, these three, and, and the, the greatest of these is love. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Let us pray. For the gift of your love, oh, how we are grateful. And for its expression by faith, we are glad. and for what it does to us, for us, through us, we rejoice. And today we pray that your spirit would so move in our thinking and our feeling, among us, between us, around us, under us, that we might hear again your wisdom and be captured by it. In the name and the way of Jesus, amen. 
Well, that is an amazingly captivating scripture. So let's imagine the first time it was read to a church. It was about A.D. 54 when Paul wrote this letter that we call 1 Corinthians to a church that he had started. And on this particular Sunday, smaller household groups from across the city gathered in a large house with space for maybe 50 to 100 people to hear what their founding pastor has to say. Perhaps it's a hot summer Sunday and they are seated more or less in their cliques and their factions for which they are known, followers of Apollos sitting together over there and devotees of Cephas or Peter sitting over there across the aisle from each other, each with claims of being more true, more righteous, more holy, and more kind, most of them having allegiances to someone else more than they have to Paul himself. And this letter comes from Paul. It's being read to them. He's not there. All 9,000-plus words in one long setting, an hour and a half or more, like a feature movie. Well, not quite like a movie. And back in the back is a couple, the guy who now lives with his father's wife, probably his stepmother, who left his dad for her husband's son, perhaps through an adulterous affair. They come in late. They will leave early to avoid the looks. And usually they don't come, but they attend this day because they remember Paul when he was there and how he led them to Christ and shared with them the gospel. They want to hear his letter. And as the letter opens, everyone hears Paul urge them all to give up their allegiances to human ideas and persons and center themselves and their church on Christ crucified. And so they settle in for the next hour and a half to listen. They listen as Paul addresses several particularly concerning topics and situations, including their messy contentiousness on issues of sexual immorality, not least the situation of the couple at the back, lawsuits among believers, marriage, separation, divorce, singleness, food offered to idols, church leadership, Paul's leadership in particular, idolatry, complaining, freedom of conscience in relation to duty to the differently convicted. He talks about gender roles and strict rules about long hair and short hair and abuses of Holy Communion. And all of that brings us up through what we know as chapter 11. They have now been listening for an hour. The reader takes a drink of water. 
and having waded through their obvious divisions and internal struggles and having instructed them on each of those topics, they hear Paul launch into a muscular and poetic and intelligent affirmation of and call an urgent call to unity in Christ as the body of Christ. We call it chapter 12. They all drink from the same spiritual fountain, the same spirit, that is, they all receive salvation and wisdom from the same spirit of Christ by virtue of their baptism and their confessions of faith. They hear that each of them is an indispensable part of the body, whether they are something like the big toe or the eyeball or the dexterous hand or the inconsequential earlobe. Whether they're gifted in this way or gifted in that way, they're all apart. And so now, after murmuring and squirming their way through the first three-fourths of the letter, they begin to feel the force of this love that knits them together. The love that originally saved and sanctified them, that drew them to the story of the crucified Jesus. The love that with all their variety of experiences and proclivities and sins and ambitions and preferences and gifts knit them together into this community of faith. And then they hear the reader of the letter. We don't know who it was. Maybe it's Stephanus or Fortunatus or Achaeus. The reader increases the volume and the intensity of his voice, saying, quote, But now I show you a more excellent way, a more excellent way of honoring God and living together as Christ's church. And so in a moment of pause between the end of that sentence and the next, I imagine the church takes a collective breath. The fractured body of believers in pain because of brokenness, separation, conflict, rivalry, suspicion of the other shifts itself to listen longer. Someone stretches their arm out. Someone else crosses their leg over the other knee. And then they hear what we just heard. The 13th chapter of the letter to the Corinthians. They hear that nothing has enduring meaning that does not have love as its source, energy, and end. Love is the thing without which there is nothing. The sine qua non. If anybody... Even Paul himself, the writer of this letter, that is. This letter that's later to be recognized as holy scripture. If Paul himself could accomplish the impossible of having perfect faith coupled with perfect spiritual knowledge of even the deep mysteries of God, even at that level of knowledge without love, it is nothing. 
Paul is well aware that many of these Greek Corinthians gathered on this day, seated together, listening together as church, took pride in what they claimed to know. And so this section echoes what they heard from the letter back earlier, about a half hour earlier. Chapter 8, that knowledge puffs up pride of position and party, but love builds up community and unity. So to those proud of their intelligence and their knowledge claims and to people enamored with the exciting and esoteric spiritual experiences, to a rather diverse congregation seated in the pew, no matter their importance or status, whether they are like the very important eye that can see or like that earlobe, to all of these people comes these now famous holy words, love is patient, love is kind. Love does these kinds of things and does not do those kinds of things. This authoritative description describes Christ-defined love, a love that is both kind and holy. And still there's more. What they hear next are inspired words that steal their breath away in a gasp of realization of the power and the reach of the love that is from God. In a crescendo of meaning, truth, and declaration, the reader raises the volume of his voice saying, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. I imagine the reader pauses again, heads in the church, turn to look at each other across the aisles. A devotee of Apollos looks over sheepishly and apologetically into the eyes of a follower of Peter because inside that person's heart there is a confession happening. Something like sorry Sorry, I had stopped loving you because your thinking was different than mine. And then that person returns a humble glance of acknowledgement and mutual confession. Even as the reader reads, now we know only in part now we see through a glass dimly, we see a reflection. And then comes this soaring finale to this section. The reader's voice crescendos with Paul's astounding last sentence. And now faith, hope, and love, these three remain. But the greatest of them is love. 
I dare to suppose that just at that moment, whatever their version of, of, of Bravo was or the congregation actually standing to applaud, that something like that must have happened. This sore church that needed this remedy. So after a pause, the reader shares Paul's instructions then about conduct and collaboration in worship. We call it chapter 14. Worship that he meant to address because there was some sort of conflict going on about it, some sort of differences about how you do that well. And then almost finished, he wraps up his plea for holy unity, coming back to that theme that he started with, defined by the rule of love by focusing now on the resurrection. The bedrock message of Jesus, crucified and risen, undergirds and bookends this long letter about how the kind and holy love of God is above all and beyond all. This love made so life-changingly clear in Jesus, crucified and risen, is love that is the absolute indispensable rule of God's kingdom. Very near the beginning, Paul opens the letter addressing their division and their struggle, their struggle to love by holding out the magnet of Christ crucified of Jesus who laid down his life for the world. No greater love, John would tell us, is there. He ends the letter with a declarative focus on the necessity of affirming the message of Christ risen, indeed the resurrection. And these are the core essential knowledge points of this magnanimous love made known in Jesus, the love that must be practiced, realized, enjoyed, deepened, and shared effectively in the church, the church as the tangible, diversely populated, and real-world body of Christ, crucified and risen. So, if it indeed was a hot Sunday, perhaps August, on that hot Sunday they have heard and ultimately everything but faith, hope, and love has ended. All knowledge and proclamations and intuitions and then even faith and hope will defer to the greatest. The greatest of all truth and all value, love. Kind, nurturing, and holy, discerning love defined in the life and the teachings, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. This bold declaration of truth rings the bell that Jesus rang, saying the greatest commandment is love God with all your being and love your neighbor as yourself and even love your enemy. When Jesus underscores that double command, he is highlighting as the central affirmation of the Old Testament law and the prophets, that very truth. And then Paul sounds it again in Romans 13 and Galatians 5 when he says that the whole law is summed up in one single command, love your neighbor as yourself. 
The only thing he says that counts in Galatians 5, the only commandment, the only thing that counts is a love-generated faith, a faith that expresses itself in love because love generates and defines faith and love creates and defines hope. Love is indeed the greatest. There is no doubt about it. But I want to be clear, love is both holy and kind, both nurturing and discerning, both deeply and widely hospitable and keenly and rightly holy, both limitless and limiting, both grace and truth. As Paul puts it in today's text, love is kind, and love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It does not gather people together to celebrate injustice or unrighteousness. Rather, love does unite us in celebration of the justice and righteousness that is truly kind and true to God's love. Love is the greatest, most enduring definition of what is true and what is right. God is love, the Scripture is bold to say, so that God, in all the deep mystery of God, God is the eternal, the greatest, and the most enduring definition of what true love is and the absolute clearest and most enduring definition of who God is and what God does is Jesus. Okay, so now let's remind ourselves of the Apostle Paul's backstory to help us with insight into this bold and soaring definition of love, this, 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 this soaring poetic song of love that he gives the Corinthians. You see, before giving his loyalty to the way of Jesus, Paul was adamantly sure of his knowledge of who God was and what God did and what God would do and what God would not do. Paul was fervently and obediently devoted to God, but bitterly opposed both to the crucified Jesus being God's Savior and liberator and to the claim of resurrection. He was adversarial, even to the point of going out like a religious sheriff with a posse to arrest followers of the way of Jesus, like a religious terrorist. He was violently trying to stifle, stop, and destroy the emerging church. He was mad and mean, furiously enraged. And one day, as he's approaching the city of Damascus, where he knows those heretics are operating, he's blinded by a sudden, unexplainable, disruptive light. And blinded and disarmed, he heard a voice ask, Why are you persecuting me? 
And Paul asked, Who are you? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I am Jesus, and your persecution of the church is persecution of me. As if to say, this church that is my body, that you want to arrest and jail and push my movement back into the tomb, Don't mess with my church. Well, Paul never forgot how amazingly kind and amazingly discerning the love of God was to him in that moment. In the days following, after he recovered sight and composure from that benevolent trauma, he was baptized, and in his, in his 180-degree turn from wanting to choke those who claimed Jesus as Lord, he became, of course, the first and most famous champion of the church. Inversions and pieces and allusions to Paul's experience of the immeasurable riches of God's grace as kindness toward him are found in several places throughout the New Testament. For Paul, it was the defining moment when he realized that love is both holy and kind. That love is kind and nurturing, but also discerning between right and wrong. God's gracious love in Christ reached out to stop him from doing what was wrong, from destroying not only the church, but himself. He was about to destroy himself because of his vicious, vengeful, violent, raging conviction that God's covenant love was predominantly narrow, limited, steep, and stern. Yes, he knew the love of God, steadfast love of God. but it couldn't be in the church. But on that day, and then as the years unfolded, he realized God was not lopsided like him, not quick to condemn and eager to punish for violation of commandments and traditions. Yes, God is holy and discerning, and yes, God does expect reverence and moral uprightness, but in Jesus Christ, it also became extremely clear to Paul that God leads with love, a love that is patient and kind. It became clear to him, just as Jesus made it clear, that love is the greatest and the sum of all the commandments. And no doubt it was that day, blinded by the light of God's holiness and startled by the message of God's loving grace for a man who was so adverse. No doubt it was that experience of the kindness of God saving Paul and spinning him around into a new life. No doubt it was by that encounter that God began to work in his heart so that one day, 
a congregation of divided, conflicted, morally messy, and contentious Christians in the ancient city of Corinth would hear Paul's confession that not one great achievement of his, not mountain-moving, perfectly mature faith, not great knowledge or awesome speech, not painful sacrifice, nothing was worth diddly squat without love. No doubt it was because of Paul's experience of God's love that on the day of the first reading of his Corinthian letter that the church would feel that skyrocketing power of his words separating them from the grip of their sticky muck and lifting them nearer to the heart of God. As the reader that day raised his voice, took a deep breath and said, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Love is the greatest. So in that gathering of baptized believers on that hot summer day in ancient Corinth, after about an hour and a half or more, of reading this letter he's coming to the end and what we call chapter 16 Paul reveals his confidence in the future of this church he writes about plans he and others have to come and visit them and be in ministry with them and he urges them quote keep alert stand firm in the faith be strong and be courageous and let all that is done be done in love. So over the following six weeks here in modern McFarland, as opposed to ancient Corinth, Pastor Trey in modern service and Pastor Wendy and I here will explore not only how love is defined, but what love does and how we let all that we do be done in love, all that we do as a church, all that we do in our families, in community, in politics, in business, in our labor, and in our leisure. We will examine how this love that is both kind and holy is a love that is friendly and non-anxious, sacrificial and complex and resilient and mature. So church, let's engage and let's enjoy and let's let our love be defined, enriched, and empowered. Let us pray. Oh God, you hear our prayers. We need everything we do in all the aspects of our lives to be done in this amazing love. We want to be deeply kind and we want to be truly holy. And so by your spirit and by our conversations together and by the guidance we find in your word, 
We pray that you would help us to experience your love fresh and new. In the name and the way of Jesus, amen. While we sing this hymn, 384, Love Divine, All Love's Excelling, if you're seeking, uh, what does it mean to follow the way of Jesus? Or you'd like to know more about faith as we find it and express it here in Christ, then I invite you to come or I invite you to meet me at the back or catch me or send me an email uh, or one of the other pastors too. We're always open to trying to guide and shape faith among anyone. Let's stand to sing number 384. that this love of God can catch us up to the point where we're lost in wonder, love, and praise. And so may the God of all hope 
fill you with such joy and peace in believing that hope may abound in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.